0: Leading in worship like that, girls, y'all did a great job. Turner, that was awesome. The Lord is using y'all's talents to uh, bless His people, and uh, that's what it's all about. Thank y'all so much for serving the Lord like that, and choir and uh, praise team and Brian. Thank y'all for serving and just uh, and thank you guys in the sound booth. You know they serve back there behind everybody that don't get to see them. Archie and Bobby back there. Thank the Lord for them. They hold the mute button. <laughs> if I don't give them a shout out every now and then, they, they just hit mute. You know, <laughs> Turn me off. Um, some Christians approach their salvation very passively. Meaning, they expect God to do everything for them. For example... Sometimes I think we think that God is responsible for keeping us from temptation. The Bible tells us in James 1.14 that when we're tempted, he says it comes from our own desires. So think about what tempts you. It comes from your own desires. It doesn't come from God. And it's not God's responsibility to keep you from giving in to that temptation. That may surprise you, but that's not God's job. That's your job. That's my job. Some Christians think, well, God's got to keep me from sinning. You remember the man that Jesus healed from being paralyzed? He couldn't get in the water, and then Jesus came, and and instead of putting him in the water, he just healed him. And, And one of the things Jesus said to him at the end of that account was he said, don't sin anymore, lest a worse thing come upon you. And you remember the woman caught in adultery that was dragged to Jesus, and they, uh, the Pharisees said that she ought to be stoned, and Jesus said, He that's without sin cast the first stone, and, and they all dropped their stones and walked away, and Jesus asked the woman, Where are your accusers? And she said, I have none, Lord, and he says, Neither do I condemn you. What else did he say? Go and sin no more. So... The sinning no more part is our part. The salvation, the forgiveness of sin is his part. The cleansing us of sin is his part. The sinning no more is our part. That uh, God is responsible for changing my desires. If God would just, I've heard this before, and I've even probably prayed it before. If God would just take away this desire, then I wouldn't be tempted to do this. I wouldn't sin in this way. God's not responsible for your desires, and I'm, I'm out. I don't know if that's my battery or, or what. Y'all hear me going in and out like that? It's the mute button. I think all my connections are good. I don't know. We'll see. Change my desires, but the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter five and verse twenty-four, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's our responsibility to control our desires. Some would say, well, God is responsible for changing my thoughts. I wouldn't think this way if if God hadn't made me this way. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we're to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You've heard the old saying, I don't know if you younger folks have, but I know the older folks have Heard this saying before, you cannot help when a bird flies over your head, but you can stop it from what? Building a nest in your hair. That's kind of silly, but what it means is, is you cannot help the thoughts that fly through your mind, but you can help how long they stay. And you can help whether you dwell on them or not. So when a thought flies through your mind, you have a choice. You can either dwell on it, if it's an evil thought, A wrong thought, you can dwell on it, or you can bring it into captivity by the Word of God. The Bible says renew your minds, and we spent a whole time talking about how we do that, but it's not God's responsibility to change your thoughts. It's not God's responsibility to keep you from thinking certain things. Neither is it God's responsibility to change your attitude. I've been praying for God to change my attitude. That's not God's job. God's not going to change your attitude. You say, he's not? No, he's not. He'll let you have that old nasty attitude as long as you want it. Nobody else will want to be around you, but you can keep it. It's up to you. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of James, chapter 4, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, here's a command, submit to God. Another command, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Another one, Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant and humbling himself and becoming like a man said, that's the mind that must be in you. That's the attitude that we must have. This is a command from God. God's not going to change your attitude. You're responsible to change your attitude. Not God. We put too much on God and too little on ourselves. Some people say, I expect God to change the way I talk. I can't help what comes out of my mouth. I just can't help. I'm, it's the, I, I let the first thing out of my in my mind come out of my mouth. God's got to help me with my speech. God's got to help me control my tongue. Well, that's not God's job either. All this is probably brand new to you, but I'm going to show it to you in Scripture today. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying the believers. God's not going to stop you from saying something stupid, dumb, hurtful, or offensive. That's your job. You know it's wrong. You've got to put a stop to it. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not all in God's court. God did the work of saving. God did the work of forgiving. God did did the work of cleansing your heart, freeing you from sin. You and I must do the part of living it out working it out, making the difficult choices to obey the Word of God. We bear responsibility for putting forth some effort to living out our freedom from sin and our new life in Christ. Philippians 2.13, which follows Philippians 2.12, which says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So that verse, verse 13, tells us God's working in my heart. He is helping me to want to obey Him. He has given me the ability to obey Him. That's God working in me. He's given me the want to and the ability to. But I still have a choice. I may want to and I may have the power to, but I don't always choose to. Do you? God's not going to force you to do His will. But if you're saved, He has forgiven you of sin, and He's put within you the desire to obey and the ability to obey, to resist temptation. But it's our responsibility to live it out. So you put Philippians 2, 12, and 13 together. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure." When you put those two verses together, we get a living truth. We are to work out what God has worked in. And Paul outlines this for us in Romans chapter 6. He tells us just how we can do that. First of all, in Romans chapter 6, he he uses a word several times in this chapter, the word "know," But I've put it as realized. Because no, um, for us in our language, doesn't quite grasp the context here. Is that Paul and the Holy Spirit, God wants us to realize something. He says here in verse 3 of Romans 6, He says, Do you not know, do you not realize that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Look at verse 6. Please realize this, that. Our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And look at, look at verse 9. Realize this. Know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. He uses it one more time in verse 16. Do you not know or do you not realize that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin, leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. Paul uses the term no, o w several times in this chapter to remind us that we need to realize certain truths. We need to be absolutely, positively convinced of their validity and certainty and that they're unchanging, never-ending truths. You see, an ignorant Christian is a defeated Christian. That's why you need to know the Lord. That's why you need to know his word. God told Hosea, the prophet, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Some of you don't know how to resist temptation. And you're bowled over by it all the time. And you wonder, why am I constantly defeated? Is because you're an ignorant Christian. It's not that you're lost. Some of you may be lost without Christ, and you're still bound to sin. And the reason you sin is because sin still controls you. But some of you who have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven of that sin. You don't have to keep sinning, but you keep being bowled over by it day in and day out. Every temptation seems to knock you off your feet because you're ignorant. You don't know, you don't realize some things that you need to do and know. What are we to know? Well, if we rewind to a few weeks ago when we started chapter 6, we need to know and realize that we're dead to sin. And that we're alive in Christ. We need to realize that we've been freed from sin. That's what the girls in the choir just saying. But we're bound to Christ. Read with me chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, why does he ask that question? Because look at verse 20 of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So Paul's asking this question. If when you sin more, God gives you more grace, why not just keep sinning to get more of God's grace? That's what he's asking in chapter 6, verse 1. Why don't we just keep sinning? And Paul says in verse 2, certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? For do you not know or realize that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This phrase that I wanted you to pick up and go home with a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to remind you of this morning. Paul is saying it's not a freedom to sin so grace can abound. To be saved means it's a freedom from sin because of God's abounding grace. Let me say that again. When you're saved, it's not a freedom to sin so grace can abound. To be saved means it's a freedom from sin because of His abounding grace. God, Philippians 2.13, we started that a moment ago. It is God's grace. God works in me both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, I've got to work that out. How do I work it out? Number one, I've got to realize Dead to that temptation. What's tempting you this morning? What's tempted you when you woke up this morning? What's what's tempting you when you go home this afternoon or tonight? First of all, that temptation comes from the desire of your own heart. It's something you want. It's something you desire. Realize, say to yourself, I'm dead to that. When Christ died, I died. This is the verse of scripture that that song the girls and the choir just sang about is built around. In John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. Jesus said to, his to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. to realize that i'm free from whatever it is that's tempting me to sin i'm dead to it i'm freed from it i don't have to do it because i belong to christ contrast that to verse 37 jesus says i know that you're abraham's descendants that is i know you go to church (laughs) i know you have a spiritual heritage your parents are Christians, your grandparents are Christians, your church members, so on and so forth. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You know, that's, that's why we sin, is because we're ignorant of God's word. His word has no place in our hearts. The Bible tells us to hide his word in our hearts that we may, what, not sin against him. This is the best Hindrance to sin is God's word in our hearts. Look at verse 42 of that same chapter, John 8. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of my own self, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Verse 47, but he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. So if sin is conquering you, knocking you over time after time, you've got to look at yourself. Am I truly saved? Or am I just ignorant and forgetting that I'm freed from sin? second thing Paul says here in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans, he says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon. Realize, reckon. What does it mean to reckon? Well, if you're from South Georgia, you're familiar with that word. I reckon you are. <laughs> reckon so? Reckon what y'all are having for lunch today. Reckon if the preacher will stop preaching in time for me to get there. Reckon not. (laughs) (laughs) It means to, we don't use it the way it's really meant to be used. Because when we use it, we have a little doubt in there, don't we? But here... It means to count it as so, to consider it done, to conclude it as finished. In other words, Paul says, consider yourself, count yourself, reckon yourself, conclude to yourself that you are absolutely dead to sin, to that temptation. Not just to sin in general, but to that which is tempting you today, tomorrow, the next day. You're dead To that sin. Now can a dead man sin? Dead man can't sin. I want you to listen to this whole thing because I'm not making a conclusion that you can no longer sin. When Christ died, you died. If you're a believer, it's what the Bible teaches right here in this passage. Verse 3. We were baptized into his death. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we said the term baptized, and this section talks about being identified with. As I explained to children and and people, uh, adults who are being baptized, one of the things you're saying at your baptism is, I'm identifying my life with Jesus Christ. Just as when Jesus was baptized, it wasn't to wash away his sins, it was to identify his life with that of the Father. When the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and the loud voice of her, from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So to be baptized with Christ in his death was means to, I've identified with Christ's death. When he died, I died. Look at verse 5. We've been united together in the likeness of his death. Verse 6. Our old man was crucified with him. That doesn't mean your dad or your husband. It means your old sinful self. In verse 8, we died with Christ. So in a very real sense, when Christ died for sin, I died to sin. So what I am to reckon, to count, to consider, to conclude is the truth that sin no longer has power over me. I do not have to sin. It's a cop-out to just live your life saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Are you? Yes. But that's not all you are. You're a saint. You're a child of God. You've been born with His blood. You've been empowered by His Spirit. The life that Christ lived now lives in you. He lives in you to work and to will and to of His good pleasure. I believe this is what John meant, or the Holy Spirit meant when He inspired John to write in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write to you that, so that you may not sin. Why would God ask us to do something that's impossible? You can not sin. Did you know that? I'm sure that there's some of you who are doubting that statement. But you're not doubting my word. You're doubting God's word. As a believer in Jesus Christ, now if you're not a believer, then no, you can't not sin. You're bound to it. You haven't yet been freed from it. But with every temptation, my friends, every temptation, I go back again. What is it you're tempted with? Gossip? Gossip? Lust, cheating, lying, stealing, what is it you're tempted with? If you're a believer, every time you're tempted, you have the power to say no. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible teaches. I'll remind you again, maybe next week, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. He said, don't be so discouraged when when you face many temptations, for we're all tempted in the same manner. But with every temptation, he says, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can resist. But with every temptation, 1 Corinthians 10 says, he will provide a means of escape that you may be able to endure it. With every sin, with every temptation. You know temptation is not a sin. It's giving into it that's the sin. With every temptation, God says, okay, the devil's going to bring the temptation or that person's own heart brings the temptation. I'm going to usher in. By my grace, I rush to bring a method of escape. So then I have a choice. Yield to temptation or flee. Find the escape route. So you see, that tells me, as well as this passage in Romans 6, as well as this passage in 1 John 2, that I have the ability of God within me to not sin. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. But I am saying that Jesus broke sin's power over you and me, and to sin now means I choose to act contrary to my new life in Christ. So here comes the temptation. I've been freed from that sin. I am to consider myself dead to that sin. But many times and sometimes I choose still to commit that sin. I can not do it, but I also can do it. Do you see what I'm saying? I have the power to say no, but I don't always use that power. But that's not God's fault, is it? God's given me the power to resist it, so when I don't resist it and give in to it, can I blame God for the consequences of my choice? No. And many of the things that people are shaking their fist in the face of God for is the consequences of their own wrong choices. For the wages of sin is death. That's what he says in James when he says, do not say when I am tempted, I am tempted of God, but each man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desire and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. You see, before I was saved, I sinned because sin was my master. It controlled me. It was my nature. It was my old man. I did what it demanded. Without thought, without choice. But now, I've given my life to Jesus. And I have a new nature. I have the nature of Jesus Christ living within me working in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So I'm not just a sinner. I'm now a partaker of the divine nature. Now, I'm not divine, never will be, but I'm a partaker of that nature. That when Christ died, I died. When Christ rose, I rose. The new life he experienced, I am able to experience. Next week, we're going to consider two more words. But these first two, realize and reckon, are acts of the mind. Next week, we'll talk about the next two, which are acts of the will. But they're, all four words are verbs. That is, they're all four action words. So just a hint, a reminder, when you're tempted, and by the way, some of you are being tempted even now. Do you know you can be in prayer? And be tempted. Can I get a witness? You can be in church and be tempted. Can I get a witness? You can be reading your Bible and be tempted. Can I get a witness? You say, Preacher, you're a bad dude. You're right. <laughs> I'm a bad dude. I'm of the worst sort. The Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners. I can identify with that. Temptation can hit you anytime. So the next time you're tempted, and even if it's now, I'm just going to give you those two words. Realize that you're dead to that temptation. Realize that Christ has freed you from that, the power to give in to that. He's given you the power to say no and reckon count yourself, consider yourself dead. Picture yourself. Now, this is not sacrilege. so I don't want you to think that, but when Christ died on that cross, picture yourself dead with him on that cross. That's what Paul says here. I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the next time you're tempted, stop long enough to think, to realize, and to reckon. The devil doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to rush headlong. And he's promising fulfillment. He's promising pleasure. He's promising, oh, you won't, there's no consequences, not even... You won't even have to worry. God will forgive you. And you know, as a believer, that when you give into that temptation, those promises, how empty they are. You have guilt, shame, fear. You lose confidence before God. All that he promised, the devil promises, is not there. He wants you to rush headlong, but if you'll just stop, Maybe s- just pray, Lord, with this temptation, I'm I'm realizing that I don't have to give in to it. I'm dead to it. And I'm picturing myself, I'm seeing myself dead, crucified with you on that cross. And a dead man can't commit that sin. Those two things, I'm going to give you two more next week from Romans 6. Those two things will help you. I know they've helped me many a time. I haven't. Done it perfectly. And I'm not always going to do it perfectly. Neither will you. But you have the ability to not sin if you'll use it. Let's practice that. Let's practice that this week. Father.